Good morning. My name is Stuart Davidson. I'm the pastor here at Eastern Shore Baptist Church. Thank you for tuning in to today's podcast. You can learn more about our church by visiting our website, www.myesbc.net. Of course, if you would like to visit us on a Sunday morning, you'll see that we have life group classes or Sunday school classes that start at 9 a.m. And our service starts every Sunday at 1010 a.m. Come by and see us. God bless you. And I hope that you are motivated to look more like Jesus through today's podcast. Well, happy Mother's Day to each and every one of you that are joining us, uh, whether it be on YouTube or Facebook Live. We are so thankful that you have chosen to worship with us at Eastern Shore Baptist Church today. My name is Stuart Davidson. Of course, I'm the pastor here. I would love to just take a moment and begin today's message with a word of prayer. Would you join me as we pray to the Lord this morning? Father God, Lord, we come before you today with hearts overjoyed. Lord, we are so thankful for our mothers. Lord, today is a nationally recognized holiday. Lord, I believe it is a heavenly recognized holiday. Lord, we are thankful that you have placed on this wonderful earth wonderful women who have borne us, who have given birth to, to me. Lord, I am so thankful to my mom. Lord, I also live with one of the most precious women that I believe I have ever met, and of course that is my wife, the mother of my children. And I am so thankful for her. Lord, it doesn't even matter if you've never had children. Lord, if, if we are here today, it's because someone brought us into existence, and we are thankful for that woman. Oh Lord, I pray that as we look today at the story of Hannah, that you will enlighten us what it means to not just be a godly woman, a godly mother, but Lord, rather a godly person. Lord, I pray that Hannah's example today will point us on how to deal with adversity, on on how to deal with tribulation and trials, that Lord, if we run to you, that you have an answer for us. Now, Lord, your answer for Hannah may not be our answer, but Lord, you are always ready, waiting, and willing to work with us. Lord, we invite your presence here now as we read your word, as we pray, as we, uh, Father, preach and praise your name today. Lord, thank you that we are allowed to worship you today in spirit and truth. And God, we pray these things in Jesus' holy name. Amen. I do want to take just a moment this morning to recognize a few special ladies in my life as well. Uh, The first, of course, is my wife. Uh, Today is a really special day in my home. One, because it's Mother's Day. But two, this Mother's Day happens to fall on Angela's birthday as well. So, Angela, happy birthday. Happy Mother's Day. Uh, I'm so proud to be your husband, and I love you with all of my heart. Uh, the, the second woman that I want to talk about, of course, is my own mom. Uh, my mother is incredibly wonderful. She is a joyful person, and she is a marvelous partner to my father. And so I am so thankful that, uh, that, that mom, you chose to, to give me life and breath. I'm, ch- I'm so thankful that you raised me in a godly home and that you gave me a tremendous example of what it meant and what it means to be a Christian, a follower of Christ. So thank you, Mom. I love you. And of course, the third is my other mother. That would be Ann Ashley. That is my mother in love. Some people call them their mother in law, not me. Uh, I believe uh, mother in love is more appropriate. Oh, 
uh, and I love you with all my heart. You've known me for a very, very long time. I'm so fortunate that you knew me as a teenager and that you let me not only date your daughter, but also marry your daughter. And you have trusted me with the most important thing in your life, which of course is your second born child. And so I just want to let you know that I love you. I'm so thankful for you. And I want to also wish you a very happy Mother's Day. You know, as I began to reflect on what it means to be a mom, I I found a a funny illustrative device. Every mother knows these things. Every mother knows a three-year-old's boy, uh, a three-year-old boy's voice is louder than 200 adults in a crowded restaurant. I think we know that's true. Every mother knows that when you hear the toilet flush and the words, "Uh uh-oh, it's already too late. Isn't that right? Every mother knows that brake fluid mixed with Clorox makes smoke, and it makes a lot of it. Every mother knows that certain Legos will pass through the digestive tract of a four-year-old boy. Only certain Legos, by the way. If your child swallows a Lego, you may want to take him to the doctor. Every mother knows that Play-Doh and microwave should never be used in the same sentence. Every mother knows that superglue is forever Every mother knows that garbage bags do not make good parachutes. I've tried that before, by the way, as a child. Every mother knows that marbles in a gas tank makes lots of noise when they are drip, when, when you're driving. Every mother knows that the fire department in Daphne, Alabama has a five-minute response time. By the way, if you don't know that, don't try it. Just take my word for it. Every mother knows that the spin cycle on a washing machine does not make earthworms dizzy. However, it does make cats dizzy. We know that from experience. And by the way, every mother knows that 80% of the men who have just heard this will try mixing Clorox with brake fluid. I think that's probably going to happen. Give that a shot. You know, motherhood, you know, I would even say parenthood is difficult. Somebody asked me the other day what it was like to be a parent. And I said, well, the first thing you ought to do is, is run 10 miles nonstop. Run 10 miles straight And then after that, stay up for 24 hours, and then you'll know what it's like to be a parent. Just stretch that out over the rest of your life, and you'll know exactly what it feels like to be a parent. It is a mixture of both exhilaration and exhaustion to know what it is to be a parent. Well, I am thankful to be a a dad, but I'm also thankful for all the godly mothers and One of the most famous mothers in the Bible has to be Hannah. And we are first introduced to Hannah in the book of 1 Samuel. If you don't know much about Hannah, you will probably learn a whole lot more after this morning's message is complete. Fill in these blanks for me if you have your order of worship. Hannah's story is filled with trouble, it is filled with tears, and it is filled with triumph. Hannah's story is filled with trouble. You are introduced to Hannah here in just a moment, and you will see that she has a significant issue that's going on in her life. This issue is called, is called incredible weeping, incredible difficulty. And yet at the end of the day, the Lord steps in, intervenes in her life, and brings tremendous victory. Well, before we read out of 1 Samuel, we'll discover the story of, of Hannah and the birth of of the prophet Samuel. Her son Samuel will eventually go on to be very important in the Old Testament, and he will be God's prophet to the people. Uh, Samuel will also anoint 
not only one king, two kings, he will anoint both King Saul, the first king of Israel, but he'll also anoint his, uh, his successor, King David. Samuel would be an enormously powerful figure. He would stand for God when the Israelite nation began to fall into idolatry. And we learn from today's scripture that Hannah, Samuel's mother, was not an extraordinary person. She was not some gigantic figure on the scope of history. Hannah was a normal, ordinary woman. And yet God did extraordinary things in Hannah's life. Now we discover that Hannah is the first wife of Elkanah, her husband. Notice I say the first wife. Elkanah had two wives, Hannah being his first, and we see that as a problematic issue in Hannah's life. And then we have so many other issues that are taking place culturally in Hannah's life that make it difficult not just to be a mom, but two, to be a woman in general. One, we see socially that Hannah had problems. Socially, women that had no children were looked on with incredible disdain. As a matter of fact, as they got older and as their husbands died, it was said that if women didn't have children, they would have no one to care for them. We know actually by stories in the New Testament that women that did not have children were often cast out in the streets and they lived beyond the city walls. Many times they were left destitute and homeless. And so poor Hannah, as you are introduced to her this morning, you will realize that she is unable to have children. And it's a terrible thing. We see that Hannah is living under some financial burdens. Financially, having children was a a way of women to provide a retirement for themselves. Uh, Old Testament law tells young people, sons and daughters, that they are to take care, honor their father and their mother. And they're also to make sure that their mothers are provided for. Well, if you were a woman and did not have a child, well, there went your retirement. You had no ability to provide for yourself. And that's why Hannah was under uh, such a difficult uh, time in her life. She has social problems, financial problems, and now she also has religious problems. Again, women that were barren in the ancient world were looked at with uh, a, a side eye. Many times religious people would look at barren women and think that God was punishing them for a a particular sin in their life or maybe a sin in their parents' life. But God's judgment was upon women who were unable to have children. And so everywhere that Hannah went, she was looked at with a glare. She was judged everywhere that she went because she was unable to give Elkanah a son or a daughter. We certainly see all these things, all these issues play out in Hannah's life. And we also need to remember that women during this period of time in the ancient world had no rights at all. They had no civil liberties. Men assumed all the roles of leadership during this period of time. And it was very important for men not just to have children. It was very important for men to provide male heirs for their family. So if a man married a woman and she was unable to have children, it was socially acceptable. It was even seen as socially responsible for a man to take for himself another wife, another woman who might bear him children. 
And so that's exactly what happened in Hannah's life. Hannah experiences both the powerful disappointment of not bearing a child, but then to see her husband take for himself another wife, it must have been gut-wrenching for her. It must have been heartbreaking, so incredibly disappointing. And to make matters worse, her husband Elkanah, he takes forth another wife for himself, and to make it worse, she is a real fertile myrtle. She is definitely not barren. She is able to have children and a whole lot of children. And she holds this over Hannah's head. And like any good husband living with multiple women, Elkanah, he desires peace. And so he tries to please Hannah by buying her off. He tries to please Hannah. He does love her. So he gives her special treatment. But friends, the damage is done. The damage is done. And so this morning, let's read from 1 Samuel chapter 1, verses 1 through 20. I'm reading this morning from the ESV. Now, the first two verses of 1 Samuel 1 are a little bit challenging, so bear with me as I read over some of these names. There was a certain man of Rathium in the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, the son of Jeroham, the son of Elihu, son of Tohu, son, uh, 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 excuse me, son of Zuth, and Ephrite. He had two wives. The name of his first wife was Hannah, and the name of his other wife was Peneah. And Peneah had children, and Hannah had no children. Oh, I would say verse 2 there is, might possibly be the saddest verse in all the New Testament, that Peneah had children, but Hannah had none. Verse 3, now this man used to go up year by year from his city to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts at Shiloh, where the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were priests of the Lord. On the day that Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to Peneah, his wife, and uh, all of her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he would give a double portion because he loved her, though the Lord had closed her womb. And a rival used to provoke her grievously to irritate her, because the Lord had closed her womb. So it went on year by year. As often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she used to provoke her. Therefore Hannah wept and would not eat. And Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? And why do you not eat? And why is your heart sad? Am I not more to you than ten sons? So we see here as they practice their religion, Elkanah, Peneah, and Hannah, they would bring themselves to the temple. They would make sacrifices. He would end up giving Peneah enough for herself and her sons, but he would also give a double portion to Hannah. And of course, Peneah became very angry, and she would rival these things over Hannah's head. She would probably say snide remarks, cutting remarks, hurtful things to Hannah. And can you imagine 
Those of you that are married today, can you imagine for just one moment that you were in Hannah's situation, unable to have children, and therefore to solve his own ego problems, your husband brings in another woman into your house, and Elkanah has the nerve to ask Hannah, why are you weeping? Why are you not eating? Why is your heart sad? Ladies, don't you think you could understand, sympathize, empathize with what Hannah is going through? You would be the same way. We would all feel the same way. Hannah has been hurt. In verse 9, after they had eaten and drunk in Shiloh, Hannah rose. I want you to do me a favor. If you're reading with me and you have your Bibles out, I want you to underline that verse. After they had eaten and drunk in Shiloh, Hannah rose. Now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat beside the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. She was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and she wept bitterly. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and no razor shall touch his head. And as she continued praying before the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was speaking in her heart, only her lips moved, moved and her voice was not heard. Therefore, Eli took her to be a drunken woman. And Eli said to her, how long will you go on being drunk? Put your wine away from you. But Hannah answered, no, my Lord, I am a woman troubled in spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have been pouring out my soul before the Lord. Do not regard your servant as worthless for all along I have been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation. Words that we don't use very much anymore today. Vexation. And then Eli answered, go in peace. And the God of Israel grant your petition that you have made to him. And she said, let your servant find favor in your eyes. Then the woman went away and ate. And her face was no longer sad. Verse 19, they rose early in the morning and worshiped before the Lord. And they went back to their house at Ramah. And Elkanah knew Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remember her. And in due time, Hannah conceived and bore a son. And she called him Samuel. For she said, I have asked him from the Lord. Now, men that may be listening I think the temptation for you is to say, well, this is just another Mother's Day sermon. That would be a mistake, brothers. Let me tell you that we can learn powerful lessons from Hannah's life. As I began to review this message and study this message, I walked away inspired because of what Hannah did. Because we've all experienced disappointment. We've all experienced disillusionment. We've all faced depression. We have all been hurt. This is not something that is reserved only for barren women. It is a human condition to feel betrayed, hurt, and abused. And yet Hannah did something that most people, men or women, would not do. Hannah got up. 
And so, brothers, this morning, even though you are not a mother, even though this is, yes, a Mother's Day message, I want you to stay focused on what God is teaching this morning because I believe that it can have a powerful illustrative uh, uh, point in your life today. So let's follow Hannah's example. Look at Roman numeral one. We see Hannah's disappointment. We see Hannah's disappointment. Hannah was down in the dumps for sure. We first find out in verses 1 and 2 that Hannah was barren. Unfortunately, life can be enormously disappointing. Things don't turn out oftentimes the way that we would like them to do or the way that we would wish for them to turn out. Hannah, no doubt. Can you imagine Hannah being married to Elkanah? She was probably so excited upon that marital vow being fulfilled. She probably had up in her life that she was going to have so many children that she was going to give to Elkanah what was socially acceptable. She was going to birth son after son after son to her husband. And sadly, that is not at all what happened. Things don't turn out the way that Hannah wanted to. Hannah was excited to be married. This was the man of her dreams. And Scripture even tells us that he loved her with an immense passion. He loved her. However, when it counted, Hannah felt that she came up short to her husband. She couldn't have children. This was a disappointment to her and to her husband. She was completely barren. And hundreds of thoughts must have raced through poor Hannah's head. She probably thought to herself, what's wrong with me? Is God punishing me? Will, will Elkanah, will he leave me because I cannot have children? Will God leave me? Has his presence left me because I am unable to add value or perceived value to this marriage? If you remember, the chief value of a woman in biblical times was first her chastity, and after that it was her reproductivity. Hannah was not alone in this disappointment. Rachel, wife to Jacob, was barren. Then came Sarah, the wife to Abraham. She was also barren, and now we are introduced to Hannah. And in each case, whether it was Jacob or whether it was Sarah or whether it was Hannah, in each case, people tried to fix the problem on their own accord. Being barren was disappointing. But what happens next is even more troubling. We see that she was barren, but let her be, we find out that she was belittled in verse 3 and 5. Scripture tells us that Hannah's husband takes for himself another bride. Why? It's safe to assume that Elkanah knew the social stigma attached to having no children. And instead of turning the situation over to God and trusting the Lord, Elkanah takes the situation into his own hands and he marries another woman. And by the way, we see this practiced in you know, very consistently in the ancient world. We also see this practice very consistently in the Old Testament. And yet, even though it was practiced often, it never turns out well for those that choose this road. And so this wife, Penea, bears him many, many children, but at a significant cost. Imagine, ladies, you suffered from the same ailment. 
that prevented Hannah from having children. How would you feel if your husband fixes the problem by marrying another woman? Everything that was once yours, you're now splitting in half with another female that your wife or that your husband has brought in. Scripture does tell us that Elkanah loved his wife. He loved her enough to give her double portions of his sacrifice to Hannah. By the way, this was a nice sentiment, but as I stated earlier, the damage was done. There is no sacrifice, by the way, that was going to be able to heal the self-inflicted wounds that Elkanah had brought to his first wife, Hannah. There was no amount of I love you's that would do the trick. Elkanah belittled his wife and selfishly made her feel small to feed his own ego and to stave off social taboos. Elkanah, although spiritual, was weak and faithless in his approach to his walk with God. And it rubbed off, by the way, on everyone in the house. How do I know this? Well, I'll I'll tell you in just a moment. Put a pen right there in that thought. But Elkanah was weak and faithless, and it rubbed off on everyone in the home. We also see that Hannah was bullied We know that she was barren. We know that she was belittled. But we also find out in verses 6 and 8, 6 through 8, that she was a bullied individual. Poor Hannah's story, it just gets worse. She's barren. Her husband then marries another woman. And Hannah's situation is sounding a lot to me like a country song. We're now introduced to what Scripture calls Hannah's rival. Rival. Have you ever... By the way, this shows just how terrible things had gotten at home. Have you ever noticed that when a husband introduces a second woman into the mix, that things seem to fall apart? And I ask that question in today's context. Have you ever noticed that when a married man introduces another woman into the marriage context, that things begin to really fall apart fast in the home? It doesn't matter if you're in the ancient world. Or if you're in the present world, adding another woman, men, into your marital situation always brings trouble. And things begin to fall apart. When the family unit begins to break down in the home, there are lots of unintended consequences that occur. Elkanah thought he was doing the the right socially acceptable thing in bringing another woman into the fold. However, the peace and tranquility that naturally occurs in the home is now destroyed. It's now destroyed. Elkanah is now surrounded not by one contentious woman, not by one sad weeping woman, but now he's got two sad, unhappy, contentious women living underneath his roof. This was not wise. This was an unfortunate idea. He is now sacrificing, by the way, three times what is expected of him, all because he's trying to please the multiple women in his life. There are lots of lessons to be learned from the mistake of Elkanah. We can learn lessons about fidelity. We can learn lessons about patience. We certainly can learn lessons about compassionate men. It is so important to show compassion to your wives. It is so important to to do everything we can not to hurt them. And if, in fact, we ever do hurt them, 
Oh, brothers, let me tell you, apologize and apologize quickly. Make things right in your home by making things right with your wife. Because if things are not right with your wife, they won't be right with your children. They won't be right at your church. They won't be right at your, at your office. If things are not in sync with your marriage, nothing will be in sync in your life. Be compassionate to your wife. Elkanah's second wife, Penea, is a real piece of work. Scripture tells us that she not only had the upper hand in her procreation, but she used her success to deride Hannah and build on her self-esteem. I have met a lot of people, by the way, that are like that. People that have a weak sense of purpose and a low self-esteem. And they, they have to, to tear others down in order to build themselves up. Have you ever met people like that? Have you ever met people like that that, that have a low sense of self-esteem and self-worth? And in order for them to have value in their life, they have to devalue you. Oh, friends, that is a terrible place to be. And that's exactly what happens to Hannah. So Hannah was targeted. She was bullied because of her perceived shortcomings. So where do hurting people go when their home becomes a battlefield? Where do they feel like they can go when there's no one else to, to turn to? Where is a place that hurting people can go when no one else accepts them? Well, they can go to church. They can go to church, of course. We'll go to church. We can go to church to pray. We can go to church to read scripture. We can worship. And we'll go to church and we'll find a kind, loving, encouraging pastor that, that we can come share our problems with. Oh, but friend, that is, the, that is the opposite of what happens to Hannah. Hannah is barren. She's belittled. She's bullied. And now, God help her, she is bruised. She is bruised. In verse 14, and Eli, the preacher, the pastor, the prophet, and Eli, the, the man of God who's so close to the Lord, Eli said to her, how long will you go on being drunk? Put your wine away from you. That is not a very encouraging message. Here you have poor Hannah. She's on her knees She's pouring out her heart. She's going to the one place that won't judge her. She's going to the one place that will accept her, that will take, take her in, a place of encouragement. And unfortunately, that is not what she receives. She is viewed as an inconsiderate drunk. If you can't go to the church to, to find healing, then friends, where can you go? And this question is answered for us, I think, in Roman numeral 2. But Hannah, her whole life was falling apart. And men and women, I don't know where you are today with the Lord. But maybe today you feel like your life is falling apart. Maybe you are on the precipice of losing your job because of the coronavirus. Maybe you've already lost your job. Maybe you're the breadwinner of your house and you have no idea where the next check is going to come, where the next meal is going to come. You're already dipping into retirement to, to pay for your home, to pay for utilities. Maybe today you are scared. And sadly enough, the one place that you want to come to to find hope, the one place that you want to come to to find encouragement, sadly, we're empty. And you're just left sitting there wondering what to do. 
Well, let me give you the encouraging point this morning. We know that Hannah followed the Lord, and we should follow her. We see Hannah's disappointment, but in verses 9 and 10, we see Hannah's decision. Hannah made a choice. In verse 9, I told you to underline this statement. It says in verse 9, after they had eaten and drunk in Shiloh, Hannah rose. Now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat beside the doorpost of the temple. She was deeply distressed and she prayed. She prayed and wept. I'll tell you what, if I was like Hannah, if I was Hannah, if I was swapping roles with Hannah, I'm just going to tell you what I would have done. I would have given up. I would have probably mailed it in. I would have given it up right then and there. I probably, uh, I don't exactly know what I would have done, but I don't know that I would have done what Hannah did. And yet, I'm glad that Hannah is not Stuart. <laughs> because Hannah did the opposite of what I would have done. It, look at letter A. We know that she made a decision. Letter A, she went from paralyzed to proactive. She went from paralyzed to proactive. There are so many verses in the Bible, by the way, that I find inspirational. And this would be one of those verses. In light of everything that Hannah has been dealing with, she rose. She got up when everyone else around her were making Mary Hannah got serious about her faith. This is significant because it, it seems that Hannah allowed the abuse from Panea to occur for a very long time. That the situation that she was living in with Elkanah and Panea, this situation she had been living in for a long time. And generally people that are abused never do anything about the abuse. They just continue to live in it and resolve themselves that this is going to be the normal part of their life. This is now their existence. They become paralyzed. They become trapped in their situation. And I'm sure that Hannah was tempted to do the very same thing. Yet Hannah rose. She got up. She traded her sad situation for success. She let go of her weakness and she became God's winner. Friends, I believe that if you're dealing with a significant issue in your life, that God wants to help you. Let me say that again. If you are dealing with a significant issue in your life today, uh, maybe it's a habit, maybe it's an addiction, maybe it's a sickness, maybe it's some kind of financial issue, maybe it's a spiritual issue. I believe that if you are facing some type of issue today, I believe in my heart of hearts, and I believe that God's Word promises us that He wants to help His children. He wants to help you However, we have to make the decision to rise to the occasion. We have to seek help in order to receive help. Would Hannah receive what she was seeking if she just sat at the table? If she had never gone to the temple? If she had never prayed? If she had never wept? Would, she have, would, her, would her barrenness disappear and would she have given birth to Samuel? Maybe. But that's not what she did. I believe that it was Hannah's decision to rise and to pray that opened the door for God's movement in her life. Preacher, I wanted a family. Preacher, I wanted a child. 
I prayed that God, I, I prayed and, and God has still not given me the request of my heart. Am I doing something wrong? Oh, friend, I was counseling a precious woman of God not too long ago. And she found out after just being married that she was unable to have children. And, and in that moment, she had a full hysterectomy. So there's no physical way for her to be able to have a child. And there is no more of a godly woman than the person that I'm talking about. She loves the Lord with all her heart. And never once would I ever tell her that God was punishing her or that, God forbid, she'd ever be a social outcast. My goodness, of course not. I believe that God had a different plan for her and her husband. Oh, one of the greatest joys of my life has been adoption. I love adoption. I champion adoption. I also love foster care, foster children, and I champion those things as well. And these, this couple that I'm talking about would make a phenomenal mother and father. But I also believe that God has a different path. Maybe God's path for them is not having a biological child, but maybe God's plan for them is pulling a child out of destitution and bringing that child into their home. That's the plan that I believe God has for them. Oh, brothers and sisters, let me tell you, just because God hasn't answered your request doesn't mean that God's not answering. He may just not be answering it in the way that you would have him to do. You'll see Hannah's situation had to be remedied by God's timing for his glory. The same is, is clear for you here today. We must wait upon the Lord and not grow weary in our praying. At the same time, God opens up other avenues of having families, especially now. We have adoption. And maybe today the Lord is, is calling you to adopt. She went, letter A, you can see, she went from paralyzed, frozen, to proactive. Then, after that, she went from pitiful to prayer warrior in verse 10. She rose up. She got a purpose, and she went to pray. Notice, by the way, that Hannah did not go to church worrying about the look of her piety. I imagine that when, when Hannah showed up to church, I bet she was a mess. I bet she was a mess. I bet her hair was disheveled. I bet her makeup was askew. I bet her, her clothing was probably dirty and in tatters. I believe that when she showed up to church, she would probably would have looked like a modern-day, homeless, crazy woman. And yet, God did something through her. She didn't worry about how she looked when she went to church. She just showed up desperate for God to do something. Friends, when's the last time that you showed up to church desperate? When's the last time that you didn't care about the way anybody else thought about you? You didn't care about the, 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 the things that people might say about you? When's the last time you got so desperate before the Lord that you said, I don't care about any of those things. I'm going to pray and I'm going to see God move in my life. I believe that God's power, it is probably more amplified in our desperation God moves in our darkest moments. I believe it's in the valleys of our life that we can see God's light the clearest. And that's exactly what happens with Hannah. 
Friends, God never promises us that our life will be easy or comfortable. He actually promises us that our lives are going to be hard and difficult. However, it's in that difficulty we can see God move in our lives. We can see the blessing from pain and suffering. And we see Hannah, she was pitiful and she prayed in her pity and God did something powerful. In Romans chapter 8, 28, we, we know that in all things God works together for the good of those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. God is always working good for those that love him, who are called according to his purpose. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with gratitude, make your request known to God. Brothers and sisters, I don't know again what you're facing today, but I would say follow Hannah's example. Do not wallow in self-pity. And do not become paralyzed with fear. Instead, rise up the way that Hannah did. God wants to help you. He is determined to help you. But we have to move towards him in many times. Oh, friends, let me say, we should follow her example. We see Hannah's disappointment. We see Hannah's decision. And lastly, in verse 11, we see Hannah's declaration. Let's get into what she says in verse 11. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and no razor shall touch his head. Now, moms, I would say this is for you. I would say this is a roadmap for how we ought to love mother and parent our children Listen to what, what Hannah would do. She committed to praying for Samuel. She committed to praying for Samuel. We see here that Hannah was a prayer warrior. Before Samuel was ever born, she began to pray for him. Moms and dads out there, I would say this, that if you are not praying for your children, you are doing for them a massive disservice. Every single day, you should commit yourself to praying to God for your sons and your daughters. Not just one time a day when they go to bed at night, but multiple times a day. I will tell you this, that me and my wife, we pray for our children multiple times a day. I will pray for my sons when I'm running. I will pray for my sons during my quiet times. I will pray for my sons while I'm at church. I will even, do you know, I'll even pray for my sons while I'm riding on my lawnmower. Anytime that I have some free time available or if I'm just spending time with the Lord, my children's names, they always come up. And friend, I believe that it is responsibility of a parent to pray for your children. And by the way, there is no age expiration for your children to be prayed for. Well, you know, little Johnny, he's not so little anymore. He's 20 years old. I, I guess he's out on his own. He better not be out on his own. You ought to be praying God's presence over little Johnny, who's not so little anymore. There is no age expiration for praying for your children. Can you imagine that, that Hannah stopped her praying for Samuel once she turned him over to Eli? Of course she didn't. She prayed for Samuel all the days of his life. And we should be doing the exact same. 
We ought to be praying for our children. Hannah not only would pray for Samuel, but she purposed Samuel. She gave Samuel a job before Samuel even existed, before he was even conceived. She said, Lord, if you give me a son, I will give him back to you. Lord, if you give me a son, he, he can be a preacher if you want him to be. Lord, if you give me a son, he'll be a missionary. Lord, if you give me a son, he'll work right there at the church. Lord, if you give me a son, he will win people to Christ through his, power, uh, his powerful using of the gospel. Oh, friends, God gives us children not so that we can raise them up to be little Stuarts or little Joshes or little James. God gives us children so that we can raise them up to be little Jesuses. We want them to look like Christ. When is the last time you said, Lord, I'm not just praying for my, for my kid to have a happy life, to be successful, but I want to give my kid a purpose and a plan for his, his or her life that they would go the Jesus way. Oh, one of my favorite people in the world is a young lady right now. She's a member of our church, and she's serving overseas in Spain, and her name is Laura. And Laura is a missionary. And, and I, I got to know Laura's parents, Bob and Vicki, and they are phenomenal people. And, and Vicki, sadly, contracted cancer many, many years ago. And boy, she was a fighter. And, and during her cancer treatment, I had the opportunity to really get to know Vicki and what Vicki was all about. And Vicki prayed for her children Vicki loved her husband. And I can only believe and know this now that Laura Allen is who she is because of what Vicki has done and because of the prayers of her mother. And I guarantee you that Vicki is looking down on her children. She's looking down on Laura and she is enormously proud because the Lord has answered her prayers. Oh, moms, it is never too late or too early to begin to pray for your children. And lastly, Hannah would parent Samuel. She would parent Samuel. Now, I will tell you that it is good to parent your children. If you remember, I told you to put a pen and a point just a few minutes ago. So let's take that pen out. Hannah not only prays for Samuel, but she also tells God that Samuel will be his servant and that she will take the necessary steps to make sure that he stays committed to serving God his entire life. Now, that is a difficult proposition, and many parents have failed in their attempts to accomplish the same thing that Hannah is promising today. Part of the promise that Hannah makes is putting young Samuel in a position to be taught the necessary scriptures. And where does she take him to do this? Well, she takes him in 1 Samuel 1.22 to the synagogue, to the church. Now, I will say this. That, that raising children is the most important part of a parent's life. And, and Hannah does this marvelous thing by placing Samuel in a position where he can receive Scripture, where he can apply those Scriptures, and where those Scriptures can be lived out for the rest of his life. Parents, let me tell you, the greatest education that you're ever going to give your children today happens in a religious setting. It, it, the, the greatest education that your children are going to receive does not happen on a football field. 
It, it does not happen on a baseball diamond. And yet many of us, we are trading our religious education and teaching, the one thing that matters for their entire life, for chasing after some ephemeral pursuit that will not last but a short portion of their lives. Dads, let me tell you, it is very unlikely that, that your son is going to be the next Greg Maddox. I, I promise you, I know that's hard to hear, but it's true. Uh, oh, let me tell you that, that there is so much more value in teaching your sons and daughters, moms, is so much more value in teaching your sons and daughters the value of God's word. They'll be able to hit a baseball for this part of their life. That they may be able to dance for this part of their life. But they'll be with the Lord for the, entire, the entirety of their life. Now those things aren't bad, but this thing is better. It's so much better. We have a responsibility to purpose our children, to pray for our children, but also to point our children in the direction of God. And many of us, we are missing out on that because we're prioritizing earthly things above heavenly things. Go the Jesus way. In Proverbs chapter 31 verses 29 and 30, it says, many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Oh moms, let me tell you, happy Mother's Day. I hope that you have a great day. And I hope that we have all learned something today from Hannah's message. Hannah got up. She prayed. She wept. She asked the Lord's blessing upon her children. And she never stopped praying for them. And I pray that you will do the exact same this morning and forever on. Uh, let's pray together and bow our heads. Lord Jesus we want to thank you that Hannah's Mother's Day miracle can be our message. Father God, we pray that you will continue to do a work in our families' lives. Lord, families in America are broken. They are broken because of the same situations that we have here in 1 Samuel. And Father, I pray that you will heal our marriages, that you will heal our relationships, that, Lord, you would bring not just happiness, but also joy into our homes. Lord God, we want to thank you for our moms. Lord, I can think of, of many of us that are here today. I'm so thankful that my mom is here. I'm so thankful that my mother-in-law is here. Of course, that my wife is here. But Lord, I know that there are many people today that are hurting because this is the very first day, the very first Mother's Day without their mom. And so Lord, I pray your comfort over them this morning. Lord, again, thank you for this marvelous time that we've had together of worship and of hearing your word and of praying together. And we pray this in the Lord's name. Amen. Thanks again for tuning in to today's podcast, and we hope to see you again on Sunday morning. Of course, you can also watch our services live on YouTube. Simply search Eastern Shore Baptist Church on YouTube, and at 10.05, our broadcast starts. We hope to see you soon. God bless you. And again, visit our website, www.myesbc.net. God bless you. And we'll see you next week.